Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Edge. I'm your host, Scott Logan, and on today's show, we're going to finish chapter three of Ephesians, which will put us at the halfway point of the book with three chapters left. Then I guess that's it for the podcast. Nah, we have 65 more books to go through. Now, last week we started chapter three, where Paul continued discussing this great merge that had happened with the birth of the church and the union of the Jews and Gentiles. There was no longer a dividing line, but there was one church. Well, this week we're going to pick up in verses uh, or verse 14 and finish out the chapter. So let's read verses 14 through 21 together and then go back through it together. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in you, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul says in 14 and 15, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So Paul says that he bows his knees, which gives us some insight into Paul's reverent approach to prayer. Paul understood that God is with us always and that we always have access to him. He knows that God is our father and God loves us beyond all that we could imagine and that we are called to approach God boldly. But even with all of the green lights to approach God so intimately, Paul also knew that God is still God, and that he's also majestic and awe-inspiring. So Paul approached God like he would have approached a king in the king's court back in his day. Paul also says in verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. An interesting little point here is that in the original Greek, the word for family was, if I can pronounce this correct, uh, a patria or patria, which in this case would be better translated as fatherhood. It's actually linked to the word father in the previous verse 14. So if you actually read verses 14 and 15 the way it's intended, it would render like this. It would say, I bow my knees to the father from whom all fatherhood takes its name. Paul is saying that all fatherhood derives from God the Father. He is the ultimate dad. We as human fathers are called to let our own fatherhood resemble that of the Lord's. The closer that our fatherhood looks like his, the closer we are to the way that God intends fatherhood to be. As a fairly new dad, I can attest that that is a large measuring stick. 
Unfortunately, that's not always the case in our world. Everybody has different experiences to tell, from great fathers who were always there for them to fathers who were absentees or maybe even abusive. But the fact is that Jesus has made his father available to us through our union with Christ, and we know that he's the ultimate father of the year, or, you know, eternity. Verses 16 and 17. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. Yesterday, I was talking about this in some aspects with some friends of mine. Why do some of the smartest people in the world not understand the obvious existence of the all-powerful God? And yet, the simplest of people can live out their salvation going as far as to know God's personality traits and his character the way that you would know your best friend. It's because it's on the spiritual level that we gain knowledge of God. Paul addresses it here by saying his spirit in the inner man. It's the Holy Spirit working in the inner man that enlightens us and opens our eyes to his glory and existence. When Paul says the inner man, he's talking about our spirit, the, the human spirit. And at the point of conversion, the human spirit is made alive and is regenerated. It's the receptacle to the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can govern all of our thoughts and actions. It's that new creation that we become. It's, it's not our intellect or our conscience or our emotions that should be the authority of our decision making. Yes, all of those things are good tools to have, but in the same way, they're also prone to being wrong and corrupt. There are plenty of super smart and strong-willed people with guiltless consciences going to hell. The only perfect guide in life is the Holy Spirit, which speaks to our spirit, the spirit which strengthens us in the inner man. Now, the second half of verse 17 picks up the next sentence by saying, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love. Paul uses two terms to uh, paint the picture of how we should live our lives. He uses a biology word and a construction word. First, he says the word rooted. Paul is basically saying that love is the soil that a Christian needs to be planted in to be effective. A plant isn't going to grow unless it's planted in healthy soil. If our Christian lives aren't rooted in love first, then just like an unrooted flower, we're going to wither and fade. Just like soil, love gives the Christian the nutrients they need to have fruitful Christian lives. Paul also says firmly established in love, or in some translations it says grounded in love. Paul is actually using another building analogy. You might remember when Paul was using a building as an illustration of the church a few weeks ago. The Greek word for grounded or firmly established is themeleo. I think that's how it's pronounced, themeleo. I'm probably wrong. Anyway, it's referring to the foundation of a building. This is the same word that Jesus used when he told the parable of the wise and foolish builders. Paul, in the same way, is saying that if we try to build our Christian life on anything else other than God's love as a firm foundation, things are going to crumble. Paul continues on and basically lays out the idea that God's love 
can't be measured by any unit of measurement that we possess. He's an infinite being. Starting with that same sentence we just read, let's read verses 18 and 19. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How could we ever possibly know or measure the length of God's love? Paul wants us as a church to understand that God's love cannot be measured because it is infinite as he is infinite. God's love is deeper and longer than one end of the universe to the other. Jesus' love surpasses knowledge. It's stronger than death. It won't let us go. It suffers long and it's kind. Paul's prayer is that we as a church may know that so that we can be filled with the fullness of God. What Paul means is that in our character and behavior and thoughts and conversations around the water cooler, we would be like Jesus. Now, the question is, what's the secret to that? A good way to start is obedience. Jesus was, as it says in Philippians, obedient to death. Our constant obedience to God is the general universal blanket that covers all of the small circumstances in our lives. Our best decisions in life are and always will be based on our obedience to God's will. Finally, Paul says in verses 20 and 21, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in you, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Greek word for power here is dunamis. It means God's unequaled and unlimited power. Basically, it means the power that energized the galaxies. I want you to think about this, especially if you're someone who feels like you're in a storm right now and you need peace from the Lord. Or maybe you have a sin that you need victory over. Or maybe you have an emergency that you need help in. Or maybe you just have thoughts of wishing that you were more holy or loving in your daily life. Good news. The unlimited power that energized the galaxies hears your thoughts and knows your heart far more intimately than you ever will. He has had you in his thoughts for all of eternity and he can and will go above and beyond all that you would ever ask or think because he knows what's best for us. He doesn't just give us the earthly desires of our hearts because those are temporary and more times than not misguided and bad for our spiritual development. He gives us eternal things that matter according to his perfect will and purpose. Knowing what's best for us He makes sure that we have it. God is always working things together for his own. And you can sleep tonight knowing that as bad as any situation may seem, he is listening to your prayers, while at the same time, his answer to your prayers was already established before time even began.
Well, that's going to do it for this week, guys. Kind of a short podcast this week, uh, but we're officially halfway through our study of Ephesians now, and we'll pick up in chapter four next week. Make sure to check out our official website, theedgepodcast.com, and check out all of the social links listed in the top right corner. Send me an email and say hi. It's Scott Logan at theedgepodcast.com. That's Scott Logan at theedgepodcast.com. And follow me on Twitter at edgepodcast1. Thanks for listening to The Edge with Scott Logan. I'll talk to you next week. But until then, live on the edge.